Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. We're in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. It's a Canucks game day. I'm uh, ready to make one prediction for tonight's game. The Canucks will not lose by 10 goals again. Well, don't get ahead of yourself. (laughs) Don't make promises you can't keep, Dan. I'm just, I'm pretty confident about this prediction, you know? They'll lose by 11 instead. Yeah. Exactly. This is like one of those things that like, uh, if you were able to bet on it, the juice would be so massive. Like I heard, uh, or I read that there was a guy who bet on uh, the Monday nighter for there not to be a safety in the Eagles game. And he had to lay like... I don't know, some stupid amount of money just to win a thousand bucks. He risked twenty four thousand to win a thousand. It's like, well, this is a guarantee. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> See, that's just now that's, now you're in the hole twenty four grand, bud. That's good. uh that's probably not that's that's why you don't make plays like that. Well, yeah. yeah, you deserve to lose if you make plays like that. Yeah. So the line on the Canucks uh, not losing by ten goals tonight would probably be about well, you probably can't get it. You but, probably can't. <laughs> you have to create a line for it. They are going up against a pretty tough Oilers squad. We'll get into that pregame. Yes, a pregame is coming your way after 5 o'clock. So lots to come here. Brett Festerling uh, is going to join us as well. Former NHLer and uh, part of our crew here at Sportsnet 650 on the Canucks broadcast. He uh, is... On the color for a lot of the Saturday night games when Randeep heads out to do Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi. So Brett will join us, and he is one of the absolute beauticians that we get to uh, talk to on a regular basis. Absolutely love Brett. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Look forward to chatting with him more this season. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Let's uh, get your thoughts in over there. Anything we are talking about. We want to start today's show on JT Miller. Uh, the old joke was, uh, what the hell did you trade J.T. Miller for? And uh, they never ended up trading J.T. Miller. He stuck around, signed the big contract, evaded some trade rumors again last season. Now his no-move clause is kicked in, and I'm ready for the J.T. Miller redemption tour. I, I don't know if it's already started. It feels like with some of the content the Canucks have done with J.T. Miller over the course of the summer that... It's already on course. You know, they they went and did the visit to his home in Pennsylvania, and then he did the round of golf with Adam Hadwin. The JT Miller, the JT Miller redemption tour is already on set. Well, it is. I mean, from an organizational standpoint, they started with the good PR, and now House Radio is going to give say some good things about JT Miller as well. So, I mean, it, it started. It's a collective effort here, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that's people, what people are going to think. <laughs> but I, I mean, honestly, I think with JT, you're right. I, I think organizationally, this is the year where his extension kicked in. He's part of the new leadership group, and they're trying to show the nicer side of him, and, and with with all that. But I also think this year with Rick Tockett as the head coach, and one of the things about JT that. As much as the on-ice antics we saw, and they were they deserve to get criticized. People yes. criticize them. There are other things he did that deserved effort-wise sometimes, and he admitted to it as well. Those things deserve to be criticized. But I do think there were time, at times liberties taken with the type of person he is off the ice with his teammates. Yeah. And that's not to say that he hasn't been salty with media and how you carry yourself in those situations 
you know, does matter to some degree. You know what I mean? Like it matters in terms of like how people view you and all that. And you shouldn't be a jerk and stuff like that for sure. But in terms of like what JT Miller's been to his teammates, I think there's been this 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 thought around from fans and even other people thinking he's a negative influence on people or that he's been a, a guy who's been one of the bad guys in the room. But that's like never been the case. Yeah. That's not to say that he hasn't had moments where he's butted head with people. I mean, it's a locker room. Things happen. But He's always been there to support teammates. Mm -hmm. He's always been there as somebody who showed up, worked mm -hmm. hard. And at the same time, if something happened, he was always somewhere to help. And when new people came to the team, he was he was somebody who helped them out as well, especially young players. So when I asked around about JT, all I kept hearing was like, no, he, he's a great, great teammate. Like in terms of being a teammate, he's a great teammate. And I think that's something that people don't know about him as much that I think is going to become a bigger factor as time goes on here. We've seen him and you could see him through training camp and through some of these practices, working with some of the younger players, you know, pod Colson has said it on a number of occasions, how uh, much JT has been there to try and help him and, you know, be there to, to listen to the things that uh, pod Colson is asking or wanting to know from JT and some of the struggles JT went through early in his career. Pod Colson is sort of relating to right now as he goes through some early career struggles. Jack Studnika has talked about, or we even saw Jack Studnika working with JT after practice the other day. So he is somebody, the younger players, especially those that see themselves more in JT's molds can lean on. And he has taken more of a leadership role and will continue to take more of a leadership role with Bo Horvat gone. Ultimately, it's going to come down to which JT Miller do we get? Do we get the JT Miller from his first season in Vancouver, who was dynamite? Do we get the JT Miller we saw from the Bruce Boudreaux run, which was incredible? Like, there was only a handful of players that put up more points from the moment Bruce Boudreaux took over the team to the end of that particular season. We thought that JT Miller was going to just ride that momentum into last season, but what we saw was a very different player and a very different team than we saw through the first 56, 57 games, whatever it was, for Bruce Boudreaux and the Canucks. I think we see a lot better from JT Miller coming out of the gate. Now, people listening to the show know I've long been a... Uh, I'm a fan of JT Miller's game. JT Stan. A JT Stan, yes. But one of the things about a more structured environment with Rick Tockett and some continuity from the teachings he was putting together last year to this year, I think JT is going to thrive, especially in a... I think his defensive game will thrive more in Rick Tockett's more structured system. His differentials are going to look a lot better, and all of a sudden you're going to see people, especially those that uh, like the analytics, yeah. they're going to be all of a sudden pumping up JT quite a bit. That's how it lines up to be. As long as the Canucks play the style, it looks like they're going to be playing, right? And I will say this. like I I'm really curious about the narrative because last year... Bo had his issues, right? But he was mm -hmm. better defensively than JT was, but he was still not good defensively. But nobody really pointed that out outside of like us who pointed that out and yeah. talked about it. And then when, once he got traded, it became a bigger issue. But people didn't really give, give enough credence to it. But they were quick to laud Bo Horvat's defensive play because he got the tough matchups all the time. Yeah. So 
are people going to be as let's say gracious when it comes to JT Miller? Because I think he's going to he's going to do at the very least what Bo was doing defensively, which to me wasn't great. Yeah. But still, he was getting lauded for it, especially given the toughs he was playing. I think that's the baseline JT is going to meet and exceed. And I wonder what the perception of that's going to be. Because I'm going to be ready to point out people were people were very gracious with Bo Horvath's defensive two way game. Because of the role he had to play, because yep. of the minutes he had to play, the face-offs he had to take. And if that's what JT does, to the same degree or slightly better, I'm very curious to hear what people think about that. To me, that's not good enough. you got to be better than that. Yeah. But I'm just wondering in terms of narratives and how people view JT and, and, the, and the things he was criticized for, I wonder what the bar is going to be in terms of criticizing his two-way play. It, it was hard to criticize his two-way play at the end of the season. For me, it was. Look, of course, he's not like... A defensive savant. He's not going to win a Selkie. Nobody's sitting here telling you that he is. But one of the, like, JT always seems to be in the right spot. And sometimes, especially early last season, you would see sort of the uh, frozen in time situation that JT would find himself in because the controller broke. You know, it's just like he's thinking about too many things and paralysis by analysis, just standing there watching. Yeah. Paralysis by analysis. And you're wondering what the heck is JT doing? But I think a lot of that had to do with the lack of structure for lack of a better term that the Canucks had in the first bit of last season. One of the things that I don't like about a lot of the, the, the JT Miller naysayers is, you know, they'll, they seem to pick different things to like want to use to say, oh, see, this is why JT Miller isn't that great. But then, you know, when you have some non-arbitrary data points to look at, like, hey, when Rick Tockett came in as head coach and let's look at that 35-game sample size from JT Miller and how he fared, well, that just goes out the window. Truth is, of any Canuck regular last year, his possession numbers were the best on the team mm-hmm. under Rick Tockett, near 55%. The goals didn't really match up, but the expected numbers were above water, and his PDO was not very good. It was like under, it was around 950, I think, off the top of my head. So if you're going to use numbers to make your case that JT Miller isn't a quality second line center, well, then there's these other numbers that show he can be and has been. So. What we desperately need from JT in order for him to win over the market fully is a more consistent season from night one of the season to night 82 of the season. If he does that, I think people will, will relax a bit about the contract as well. People will kind of calm down in terms of how he's going to fit here long term because we still get questions and comments like this one. Our Canucks JT is a gem, uh, but... You know, but, uh, but something, wait, I don't get the other part of it, but our Canucks JT is a gem, time to trade him. Is yeah. Jim trying time to trade him, right? So we see stuff like that come in the entire time on our text inbox, no matter what, when it comes to JT. And even if he has a decent season, I know the narrative is still going to be to some people, well, this team's not going to have a chance to win a cup anyways, as long as JT's here. So trade him now while you can, and he has value, and and talk to him. I'm sure he'd want to get traded anyways. So I, I think I don't think there's any convincing anybody, like truly, until this team's a real contender with JT here. Right. And I think if JT can play and be effective as a two way center, and he's going to, I think he's going to get a lot of responsibility this year. Yeah. Like for all the talk about 
them having a third and a fourth line and and Pedersen taking on more responsibility. And I think those things will happen to some degree. But if you think JT is not going to be taking a ton of important faceoffs, yeah. Like you are mistaken. I'm going to bring this point up again because I don't think people realize yet. They don't have any good face-off men outside of JT Miller in all situations. Teddy Bluger's good five on five. PK, very average. Situationally, JT is still their best, best face-off guy. When Bo Horvat was the only and best face-off guy on this team, he got a ton. Yeah. Doesn't matter who the coach was. Same thing's going to happen here with JT in terms of his usage. So he's going to be used a lot. And if he can keep his head above water, I think that's going to make a big difference. And it gives you a pathway potentially to compete if you can have two centers who can win their matchups. And it's um, you know, it's telling that they're still thinking about Phil DiGiuseppe and Brock Besser with JT Miller. That gives us a sign that they're more likely to play that group against some toughs rather than Pedersen, Kuzmenko, and let's say Hoaglander. You're not going to play Pedersen and Kuz... Well, you're not going to play a line with Kuzmenko and Hoaglander. You're going to try and get them away from the other team's top lines if you can. JT Mm -hmm. Miller, he's still going to play a lot of toughs. They need to develop or Bluger, if he's going to hit as a signing, it's not going to be because of the money or because of the points he's giving this team. It's going to be because the Canucks have a credible bottom six line that can go up against other teams' top forwards. And be able to move JT Miller away from some of the toughest matchups that the opponent has to offer, at least more regularly than he has been in the past. Now, you know, there's this text that's coming in. Just turned you guys on. Didn't know the new afternoon show was called the JT Miller Fan Club. Well, now you know. Now you know. And I told you. I told you. I called it. Yeah. I said as soon as we started this discussion... People were going to ca- come in and start ripping on us for. I knew it. No, I mean, hey, and it could giving be, JT Miller some praise, and it could just be tongue in cheek, and it's all fine. And you know what? Like last year, um, you took a lot of grief for for defending JT Miller. People were all in my case for saying keep JT, trade Bo Horvat. Yes, even in the height of you know JT struggles and and Bo Horvat, you know, crushing gold records, it seemed like. So I mean, I, I think it's one of those things where. It comes down to what we talked about yesterday when we had Ryan Clark on. There's this negative view and mm-hmm. perception of Vancouver and a negative view of certain players and their outlook. And the only thing that's going to change that is success. Yeah. You know, and JT, we know, can put up a lot of points on bad teams. Can he put up a lot of points on a good team? And he did the first year he was here in Vancouver, yeah. right? He had a st- strong year, his best year in the NHL so far. They were a playoff team, went around in the playoffs, actually. So, there was something there that he did, but if he does it that again, but playing center and this team has success this upcoming season, I think that becomes interesting all of a sudden. Uh, one of the um, reasons we're talking about JT Miller today is the athletic projection for the Vancouver Canucks comes in at 92 points and a 52% chance to make the postseason, which I think is very fair, but in part of the explanation, they talk about Miller being a less than ideal second line center for this team behind Elias Pettersson. And by the raw numbers last year and the last couple of years, by a lot of the raw numbers, yes, it's not wrong to to shade to put some skepticism on it, but it's by looking just at those things. Yes. So um, one of the, the lines uh, in, in there says uh, Miller scored at a 96-point pace and had a respectable 51% expected goals rate under Rick Tockett. Under Boudreaux, it was 75-point pace with a 42% expected goals rate. It's 
highlights again the struggles he had in the first half of the season versus the second half of the season. But again, the structured environment for JT is huge. And he is, of course, a huge part of the equation that the Canucks need to get to in order for them to have a successful season and get back to the playoffs. They need the second half of the season, JT Miller from last year, the second half of the season, JT Miller from the year prior to that. That's the player. Like For me, when we've seen the best of JT Miller, it's been when he's played center and it's from those two parts, the first bit of Boudreaux's tenure and this first bit of Rick Tockett's tenure. But you need to get that more consistently. A lot of that, Elias Patterson can play with Lane Peterson and whoever else and still have success when he's on his game. JT does need more support from his wingers. And part of, as a question comes in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, what was JT Miller's biggest problem last season at the start of the year defensively? Well, it wasn't just his own slow start to the season, but... Tanner Pearson had a very slow start to the season last year. Brock Besser yeah, had a very I, slow start. I, to, you're right. Uh, th- but like, but there was other dri- factors. But he's also a play driver. And I think when he moves, he wasn't moving his feet half half for most of the first part of the season, right? I'm with you with it the wings. It piled on. It did, but he wasn't moving his feet. It didn't make things any easier for JT to ease into the season. 100%, but he wasn't moving his feet. I don't, I don't mean to be making excuses for JT. It's just... Like, he wasn't the only one that was really slow out of the gate last year. I, I agree. I'm just saying, like... Th- when he moves, he's going to be good. And I think the structure does matter. And I think having players play well matters. But I think he's the type of player that if he moves, he's going to make a difference. He can drag guys along with him. Yeah. And that's something that he's that he's going to have to do, right? And there's still skepticism. You know, Max and New West says, let's face it, he's worth it now, probably next year. Uh, the guy will probably have to be considered an all-star carrier when, when it's all said and done. That said, the contract he got paid is poor value in the long run. I mean, we'll see what it's like in the long run. I will say there are more players that are effective into their 30s now than we're ever seeing before. Michael Backlund just got a two-year contract extension at the age 35, and he's getting paid $9 million total over these yeah. next two years, so it's not insignificant money he's getting. We're seeing other players, guys who are good on the power play, can age well. It comes down to how much it takes care of his body. That's, yeah. that's going to be the thing with JT, because he's got great hands. He's got great hand-eye coordination. He's great at control and they play on the power play players like that those skills usually age well as long as you take care of yourself so that's what he's going to have to do but i don't worry too much about the long-term value it comes down to him being the difference maker he needs to be and if he is and you look back to the type of player he was his first year in vancouver as a two-way type of guy he was one of the top 10 wingers that year in the nhl in terms of two-way impact and can you do that playing down the middle if he can like i said you have two centers who can actually win their matchups and you have hughes you have demko and to your point, if you have a team that buys in and plays hard and has structure, well, you have a real chance to be a playoff team. The connectivity of the team is going to be huge. You know, uh, that's a massive, massive part. And all this structure work that they've been doing in training camp, it's going to help everybody, should help everybody from the top of the lineup all the way on down. Uh, Jay, with this tweet coming in, at DanRicho underscore, can we stop pointing to small sample size runs in the back half of losing seasons? JT's a really good player. We don't need to cherry pick the high points and use that as the expectation. It's not realistic. Then there is Dean with this take coming in on Twitter. The coaching staff management team has Stanley Cup written all over it, not saying it's happening anytime soon, but JT will win a cup in his contract with this coaching staff and management. Lord Stanley will be in Vancouver. 
hundred percent. Uh, that's a that's a big take from Dean. I, I don't know about a hundred percent. No, hundred percent. Canucks I, are going to win a cup. No, hundred percent. I believe the Canucks are going to win a cup. They okay. are going to win a cup one day. They are. Yeah, and they're going to win a someday. Cup the Canucks will win a cup, and who knows when it happens? You got to you got to believe in things sometimes. Uh, Jay <laughs> says it needs to show that he can do it when a game still matter. Enough of back end losing small samples, like you mentioned, Dan. He's a very good player. We all know that, but you can't peak when the team season's done. The new coach fires you up, and that's all fair for sure. He did show in his first year, though, in the pandemic hit, like he was consistent for the, that entire 68 game season. Yeah. And I know he was playing wing, which is different, but he was consistent. He came back into playoffs. He was a monster. You know what I mean? So we've seen him do it for a full sample. Like, I think it's there for him to do. You're right. Everybody's right. He's got to do it for the full year, but I think he's capable of it. Like, it's the same thing people say. Can Pedersen be good in the playoffs? It's like, yeah. we saw it. Yes. It's like he hasn't played in the playoffs. You know what I mean? So he's capable of doing it. Just do it again. Uh, Torgi, he, JT lost interest and got frustrated, which is unacceptable, but he'll be great for the Canucks this year. Torgi's a loyal listener. I respectfully disagree that JT lost interest. Um, there was a lot going on last year, as JT himself has said. It was a bleep show, but if anything, JT's negative emotions get the best of him to where he shuts off a little bit. And that's just something you can't do, especially when you're the leader of a team or expected to be one of the leaders of the team. You can't let your frustration, your anger at your own play take over to the point where you completely shut down and become a liability on the ice, which I think would say was fair to say happened to JT at points during the first half of last season. Uh, Charles from Burnaby, it is X, not Twitter. Okay, thanks, Stop Charles. Stop it. Stop it. I'm going to refer to it as Twitter. Are we supposed to call them Zeets instead of tweets? I don't care. I'm calling it Twitter. That's Twitter. Zeets meant something totally different where I grew up. Anyways. Do I need to ask? Should I ask? It would just be like a way you tell somebody to shut up. Oh. Because in Italian, you say zito. Oh, it would so be zitz. like quiet. I see, I see. So zitz, bro. <laughs> you know, that's uh, how we would say it in Woodbridge. Yeah, I'm just going to refer to it as Twitter. <laughs> I'm just referring to it as Twitter. That's okay. You can call it X. You can call it whatever you want. It's Twitter to me. Um, we'll keep those texts coming in, and we'll get to more of them as the show goes on. It, you know, JT is always a polarizing topic in this market and until we see a more consistent JT Miller I don't expect that to change and nobody's ever going to truly love the contract no matter what we do overall though uh, since we touched on it the projection of 92 points for the Vancouver Canucks and a 52% chance of making the playoffs 1% chance of winning the Stanley Cup this year um so at least, hey, that's a that's a non-zero chance that the Canucks could win the Stanley Cup this year. Um, it's incredibly fair. This projection, ninety-two points, yeah, that's like it's it's pretty bang on in terms of the middle range of where yeah. it would be. And you know, when they do a thousand projections or simulations, whatever it is. You know, you're going to get somewhere the Canucks are really good. You're going to get somewhere the Canucks are bad. Um, that's the variance of the season. And to some, that's the variance of a sort of middle-of-the-road club that you want to avoid. You want to be, for sure, a playoff team, or you want to be a team that is building towards being a, for sure, playoff team. It's not always reality, though. I do, like, the high end of this Canucks team, if everything goes right, 
as Jim Rutherford sort of mentioned. Like I don't think it's just a bubble playoff team. You know, if if a lot of things go right for this team, I could see them being over a hundred points. Over a hundred points? If things truly break right for this team. You know, all of the things Kuzmenko comes back and is good. Pedersen is as good as he was last year. JT Miller, we get a more full 82 game season from him. Heronic fits in beautifully. Demko's a Vesna trophy candidate sort of player. Like it's a lot of things that have to go right, of course, and hit like the ceiling of where they could hit. But in that scenario, there is a world where the Canucks are really good. There is. There's also the world where they might just be an 88 point team. Yeah. Like that could happen. Get a big injury and it's just like something you can't overcome. Injuries or like, let's say like the bounce back doesn't happen. Kuzmenko doesn't score as much. JT's just okay playing center. Yeah. Pedersen, you know, isn't able to turn a hundred point year into back to back hundred point years. He's kind of at that 70 some point range, right? Besser doesn't come off as well, but it's kind of average. And they have trouble on the defense outside of Quinn Hughes. Even Heronic, they may have trouble finding. Like, if those things happen, I think there's a world where they might battle, work really hard, get good saves and everything, but ultimately it's not going to be enough to to make it in. Final word here goes to the text inbox. Canucks lose 10 nothing. yet local media still talking playoffs. Like, come on, guys. Do you see who played in that game? <laughs> like, yes, It was mostly the Abbotsford Canucks. It's like talking about a Young Stars game and saying, come on. Yeah. I'd say, come on, Texter. Come on. Look at the roster. Did you even watch the game? Um... I might say Zeets to the texter, but I would never say that because we love our texters here on Canuck Central. All those listening live, we appreciate you. Those listening on podcast, appreciate you as well. Get all of our exclusive interviews and more via the podcast Canucks Central. Subscribe, leave a review. We do very much appreciate it. Coming up, Brett Festerling joins us on Canuck Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. This weekend, you can meet Yannick Hansen at the grand opening of Aura Natural Market on 204th and 80th in Langley this Sunday, October 1st, between 12 and 2 p.m. Mention Sportsnet 650 and get a 15% discount during the month of October. You can check that out this weekend. Our good friend, Yannick Hansen. Speaking of uh, good friends, we welcome in... Uh, color analyst here for some of our Canucks broadcasts on Sports at 650. Brett Festerling. Brett, what's happening? Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, we're good. I, you know, I, I got to be honest. So uh, Brett was part of our uh, our mm-hmm. foursome at the Melanoma uh, uh, golf tournaments uh, in support of Melanoma Canada uh, a couple of weeks ago. I, Brett, I've been telling everybody about the long drive you hit that day to win the <laughs> to win the long drive contest. It was brilliant. I like. I, I still dream about it. I, I wish I had tape of it. Yeah, that's the beauty of golf. You just need to hit one good shot, and then it keeps you coming back because <laughs> the rest were pretty poor. I thought. <laughs> the best part about it though was there was a gallery waiting for Brett. Like we had to wait for the green to clear, and Brett's just there, like. It's one of those moments, Brett, right, where you're like, okay, so I'm the guy that's waiting for the green to clear, and now I'm going to duff one into the left trees, but no, you you, you pulled it off. Yeah, 
I've, I've definitely been on the other side of that where we wait as a couple of groups and then you do put it in the pond and then you feel terrible. So I'm glad it worked out for that one shot. I think Brett is just being extra humble right now. I think so. <laughs> so like, okay, uh, maybe inside baseball, but like during the hockey season, how often would you be able to get out for a round of golf? In Anaheim? Yeah. Quite a few. Mm-hmm. In yeah. Winnipeg? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> right. So it's very uh, dependent on, on where you are. But yeah, Anaheim, we had a lot of good golfers, and it was um, pretty regular to get out. And then, yeah, I, there's a lot. I mean, it's a natural crossover in the summers and stuff, so so guys love it. And it's, I mean, once you get out on those nice courses, it's, it's, it's a good time. Would you look ahead on the schedule sometimes and be like, hey, we're going to be in this road city. We have a couple of days off. Like, I'm going to hit the links here. Yeah, I mean, it's more like other guys would. I didn't ever want to be that guy because if randy carlisle ever got a you know (laughs) whiff of me doing that then i would have been in the minors pretty quick but like if guess what for those guys got some games i'd let them know hey if there's a spot please include me yeah it's uh your status on the roster may have a may have a part in in all of that uh it's brilliant uh brett festerling joining us uh here on on canuck central so uh we're, we're just kind of talking about uh, the projections for the Canucks this season, um, the Athletic put theirs out, 92 points, uh, 52% chance of making the playoffs. How do you see this team lining up this year? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's that far off. I think um, for what they were able to accomplish on a limited budget or I guess on kind of a cap ceiling, I think they were effective in, in terms of getting uh, more tool-like players that could – address some of the defensive gaps maybe one being the defense as a whole two being the penalty kill so i think they were able to improve in those um, areas and not have to um, give much up like i think they improved they did a good job of improving the team with what they had there and i think if they can continue that creativity and uh, what they showed on the offensive side last year with locking up the penalty kill and a better defensive structure as a team plus is better D on the back end. I think a wild card's a good possibility, but um, again, that we'll see when, when the puck hits the ice here. Yeah. And I mean, I think we spoke about this quite a bit last year, the, the value in having players buying in and we had somebody texting and a lot of people text and ask us is structure enough and does how much does structure truly matter? And I think one of the things we, you know, we pretty much agreed on as the season went on was, do you have buy-in more than anything else? Because if you have defined roles, players buy into those roles and players are invested day in and day out, well, your chances of success are probably a lot better. It's very simple in terms of how we describe it, but does it not really come down to that? Yeah, 100%. It's just your base to fall back on. It's a quick game. The less you have to think, the less mistakes you're going to make to me. So the structure just gives you that baseline where I know how to read off other players. I know what they're going to do because that's the structure. So that allows less room and time for me to make a mistake mistake, or for the other team to capitalize on a gap in timing or a mistake that I'm going to make. So I think it just allows you to compete in games and there maybe the talent isn't, isn't as much. And when you are opposed against a team that has similar talent, it'll just give you that extra um, something to get you over the top and get you the win. I think. 
camp season is uh, Rick Tockett uh, and the team going through structure drills. And this is the types of things we want you to do in, in these moments. And they are really just trying to, as you just said, you know, make it muscle memory for these guys. But you know, I guess my worry would be is like, how long does it take to, to get those things truly ingrained that you can execute them into game action? I mean, to where you want it? Yeah. Probably not till Christmas time. Right. Right? But it's it, that's the thing. That's why it's in camp right now is the faster you can get there and get ahead of, say, other team structure, and it gives you a leg up in the first, call it before Thanksgiving break, right? Mm-hmm. And we all know how important that is to be in certain positions come those break times. There's those certain times in the year. So it, the faster you can get it and get everybody on that, the more successful you're going to be early. Yeah, and that's going to be the thing. We spoke so much about it with this team. It's not getting off to a bad start yet again. And the reality is you don't have to get off to this incredible start. You just can't get off to a start where you're 2-8 and eight after the first 10 games. And we all know what's going to happen after that type of deal. And we, we had a discussion with Ian Cole about this at camp. And he mentioned that it, it comes down to you doing the little things or the details, like you were just saying, day in and day out. And if you do those things, you will probably get ahead more often than not. It's just, are you able to stick to those things? if the first couple of games don't go your way again. And I think that's, I think, the big test they're going to have to face. Yeah, consistency day in, day out is, is huge. And that's exactly it. Sticking with sticking with the plan when time, times get tough is, is a hard thing to do. And at the pro level, I think that's a, that's a talent. Consistently on a personal level where you can bring that every single day within your game and then elevating that for a team to do it all as individuals, but all as a team where guys are doing their individual jobs, pulling that entire team system forward is, is crucial really to have success at the highest level in this game. Were you ever part of a 10 goal loss or 10 goal win? Oh man. I like maybe junior A days. I saw that score on, on the phone and it reminded me of playing in merit with the Cornell <laughs> millionaires. And I think we lost 11 two and they had a horn and it was just painful. Just that horn goes off every time and it just makes you feel worse. And worse. Like playing it's in Columbus when the, when, the, when the cannon goes off. Oh, the cannon scared me. They don't warn you about the cannon the first time you play there. <laughs> It is wild though. Like um, you know, Rick Tockett obviously didn't uh, get too upset with the the team after that. You know, it was mostly AHLers uh, going up against a large part of the the Flames uh, opening night roster. But at the same time, you know, if you're any of those players that are maybe uh, trying to earn the coach's trust a little bit more, or maybe you're one of the guys that's fighting for a final roster spot. I I can't see the coach getting too much positivity out of that situation after that happened the other night. Yeah, and from a player's perspective, as an older guy, it's re- it really weighs on you because you you only get a certain amount of opportunities. Like some guys don't like to play in exhibition games, but if you're anywhere on the bubble or close to battling for a run, those games are gold. Those are when you get to prove your worth. And even if you get in ten nothing games, if you can be a bright spot in that it'll allow you to be seen. So um, I hope none of those guys are looking back and I'm sure there is some saying, Oh man, I, I missed an opportunity there to separate myself. So that's the biggest thing. Coaches probably don't have much to take away from it besides uh, get back to work, but I hope the players aren't regretting an opportunity. 
and I'm, 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 I think it's going to be hard for some guys not to regret it because based on what we saw at the skate the next couple of days, a lot of those guys were relegated back to the second group, even Dakota Joshua, and the coach was pretty stern and sending a message to him about having to be better and how a spot isn't guaranteed for him this upcoming season. Is that maybe the biggest disapp- disappointment then if you have a couple of veterans like him and they don't really bring it in a game like that, they're losing 10 nothing. would that be something the coach would be upset about in terms of, at least I expect a veteran you, for you to do something when the score is getting out of hand? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's an opportunity. So I'm sure Talkett's looking for somebody to be a leader in there when they do get in those situations, whether it is a young guy, that's an opportunity for him to show that he has that tool, I guess, in his bag for this year or next year, whatever, just trying to add value and move yourself up in the rankings of where you stand on this team, I think. So, um, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he's not happy with being relegated a bit to the, to the second squad there. Brett, we appreciate the time. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, guys. Uh, there he is, Brett Festerling, joining us here on, uh, on Canuck Central. Um, you know, that's sort of the part of the 10 nothing loss. You know, Dakota Joshua, Noah Juleson, uh, some of those guys that are on the roster bubble that we know are very much on the roster bubble and were, you know, some of the players that had, especially when it comes to Juleson and some others, you know, they had the uglier moments of the night. It's tough to win your way back after that, right? Like that's. Yeah, it's 10 nothing. Yeah, it's a preseason game, but every like preseason game for some of these guys on the bubble means a ton. And not many guys showed well the other night. No, they didn't. They will get other opportunities, though, because they have five preseason games to go, and the veterans aren't going to play every single game. Yeah. So they're still going to get opportunities to get out there. The lineups are going to be stronger than that first game, because the first game is always, let's just get this out of the way. Yeah. And, hey, we bank a game. Some of these guys get a chance, but, you know, we're not really dressing any of the veterans to the, in these games. So... They'll get opportunities again, and I think specifically for Noah Juleson, I think specifically even um, for Matt Irwin, who was in that game, he had some positives, obviously, but I think Juleson's still going to get a chance because at the end of the day, are the other options clearly better? Like Cole McCord's going to get a chance to play with Hughes. Maybe even tonight. And we'll see how that looks and how it goes. But is he going to be able to be so convincing you feel great about that? I mean, there's probably going to be, he's going to open the door to some opportunity for somebody else at some point. Yeah. So I think there is going to be a chance. And the next time these guys play, that's when they got to play with their hair on fire, essentially. Like, I'm, I'm going to see Noah, Noah Juleson is going to have to play one of the best games he's played in a long time, right? Same thing for Dakota Joshua. Same thing for pretty much any player, facility put calls, and pretty much anyone on, in that roster. Even Jack Sednico, the coach gave a lot of praise to. He could have been better even. Yeah. So it's like all those guys have to have a really good second performance. Uh, Canucks second preseason game going tonight. We'll have uh, more of the pregame coming up a little bit later on as they get ready for the Oilers. Uh, Tones with this text, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. I'm starting to feel like I want the Canucks to make the playoffs as much to shut other people up as much as I do to cheer them on. The Sens, the Oilers, the all have questions in goal and the back end. Multiple teams have forward depth questions. If any team loses a key player to injury, it's going to hurt. No pun in, pun very much intended. I don't care if it is the Avs losing McKinnon or Oilers losing McDavid. The season is a battle of attrition. Every team needs a bunch of stuff to go right or stuff to not go wrong. 
in order to make the playoffs. It, it's a fair point from Tones. Um, but, you know, the Avalanche managed through injuries to uh, Landeskog last year and McKinnon and Kale McCarr. And you know, sometimes you would look at the Avs roster and be like, okay, this is a bit of a different team than I'm used to seeing. But they still ended up making the playoffs. Now, they didn't go on the long Stanley Cup run that they did the year prior, but they made it to the playoffs. The, the point is, Tones, other teams can survive it or weather the storm better than we would imagine the Canucks would be able to manage a Elias Patterson injury. Well, they have more, right? Yeah. So, I mean, when they lose a couple of those guys, I mean, look at their back end. You have Bowen Byram. You have Kale McCarr, right? You have Sammy Girard. Devon Taves. You have Devon Taves, so I mean, the second best guy. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, you have guys... Um, uh, well, what's his name? I'm like blanking on on the big fit. Manson, Manson, and oh yeah, I mean on the back end they have jo- oh, Man- Josh Manson. Manson as well, and they have other guys on the back end that give you a little bit of something. Ranton, of course, with Landeskog, who's who's been injured now and he's not going to play again this season. Yeah. We still have Nathan McKinnon, and Vancouver, even like Rutherford himself said, they can't afford to lose too many star players. They they're still short a couple of guys to be in the same position that Vegas would be in, same position. Colorado would be in that if they lose Pedersen for 20 30 games or if they lose JT for half the season they'll still make the playoffs Vancouver's not there yet because if Vancouver loses JT or Pedersen for half the season it's probably not happening yeah you know that's probably going to be too big of a blow for them to overcome right and if you have a third guy that's what I think Vancouver needs like as much as Kuzmenko is good too and maybe if he shows it they still need one more guy to be a true difference maker if you have another guy who's a true difference maker, a guy you can build a line around but, but play with other superstars, then you can survive yeah. some injuries. And not only do you survive injuries, when you get healthy, now you have a chance to win a Stanley Cup. So I think Vancouver's getting to a point now where they have better depth. They can be more competitive. They should be a playoff team. We were talking about the ceiling. And yeah, if things break bright, they'll make the playoffs. Maybe be a 98-point team, maybe a 100-point team if all things go well. But I don't think anybody assumes they're going to be a true cup contender this season. Yeah, it's it's tough to see that unless, you know, somebody really pops, which, I mean, so far through training camp, I don't see who that player is going to be. I mean, it would have to I mean the obvious guy, Dan, is Hoaglander. And yeah. that's asking way too much because I think he can play. Is he going to be able to not only be good, but be a star level player? I mean, that's yeah. just asking too much, right? Now, is it Brock... Sure. Does something happen? Can it be as a collective? Can somebody emerge at the back end? Maybe that's as as important as anything else. Can they find a third legitimate defenseman? Because if you have three guys, you, now you can play ball, right? You have Hronik and Hughes, great. You have a third guy who's in, you know, maybe not a Hughes's level or Hronik's level, but a number three defenseman. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, okay, now you're cooking on the back end. You have three legitimate guys. Sure, you want a couple more, but you can really be good with three good guys. Like, look at the way Vegas' defense is built. It's not like they have five number five, you know, number four defensemen. Yeah. It's just the same thing that we've talked about for so long. And, and even as you mentioned a week or two ago, the Canucks are going to be active should anybody shake free around the league. Like, the biggest thing this team needs to add is not depth, it's another impact player. Could be in the forward group, could be on the back end. Probably both. Yeah. Where they need two more impact players to be among, you know, where you have a core that's as deep as some of the cup contenders that go five or six deep of guys that are true impact players on your roster. That's what the Avalanche have. That's what Vegas has. And that's how you end up being more of a 
not just a playoff contender, a true cup contender. And you can't you can't do all that in one offseason, especially if you don't have like huge draft picks and the Canucks haven't really had that the last couple of years. The end of the Benning era, they traded away a bunch of their first round picks, so you're not really seeing any of those guys coming. You have to do it from outside of the organization and you know, they hit the jackpot with Andre Kuzmenko. They hope they've hit the jackpot with Philip Aronik. But where's that next impact player going to come from? And, and and it's okay for it to take a little bit of time. I mean, I even see people say, hey, the expectation this year shouldn't be just to make the playoffs. It's to win one round at least. And it's like, sure, let's say you win a round. You're still not going far. It's like, still it's still arbitrary. Like, yeah, like it's not winning the cup. Well, well yeah. If and we've seen teams have upsets to win a round in the playoffs. And if you're saying win a round, you're still saying they're not enough to win a Stanley Cup. So at the end of the day, you're still not good enough to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Don't make the playoffs. But you have to make. You have to start somewhere. And I, I don't think winning a round matters if you're not a team that's good enough to win a cup or not. It, it would be great. I mean, it's positive, and I'd love to see them win, win, win a round. And maybe you catch lightning in a bottle and you get to the cup final even. But if you're not built like those cup contending teams, ultimately what happens? You end up being the Montreal. You end up being the teams that are clearly not good enough that got there, and you know we're going to win the Stanley Cup, right? You want to get to a point where if you get to a cup final, people are like, man, this team is a contender. And to Tones' point, he's like, I agree, but aside from a handful of teams, how many teams can boast that type of depth? And that's the thing. You want to get to become one of those handful of teams. And I can live with you not being there now. Crawl before you walk. But by next year, somebody else has to emerge. Otherwise, you will be kind of stuck not being good enough. And that doesn't mean you will get be there, right? But that's the only thing you got to keep. You got to keep building on this. And they said themselves, Alvin said, Rutherford said, this is a build. When to keep building, you got to keep adding. You're at a decent spot. I like their chances this year. They can be competitive. But you got to keep adding. You got to keep taking shots here. You got to keep adding. You got to keep taking risks. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's the Canucks should be a 53% chance to make the playoffs. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, any any place to get another Bo Horvat joke in, Marcus and Gibson's is absolutely going to take it. It's so much of the season rides on the Canucks getting off to a good start. And... You know, we're talking about all these different elements, but what needs to happen is this team is just more credible in all areas of the ice. You know, it's when you think about teams that are bubble playoff teams, oh, they need a lot to go right. Well, yeah, it's not just injuries. You can't have the worst penalty kill in the league. You can't have like a record bad penalty kill in the league. You need your power play to be good. And so some of these things that they've been working on, Sat, you know, trying different things on the power play, I like it in theory. And over the long run, like I could see something like that working. But at the same time, are you a team that can really work through that process of getting it to being a, you know, more fluid power play where guys are moving in and out of spots? If it doesn't get off to a great start, that could be an issue for this team as far as wins and losses go. Yeah, but I don't think you have a choice, though, because you don't have a power play to lean back on anymore anyways. Yeah. Once they traded Bull Horvat, it was done. Like, that that power play they, were, they had before was over. Right. Because all the focus was get it to Bow in the bumper spot, essentially. Because Pedersen's one time, remember, he was barely shooting it. Yeah. It had really become just cent- centered on getting Bow the puck. Pedersen was as much a decoy as anything else. Yeah. And once that was gone, and even when he wasn't, it was him or Bow, really. It was them two. But it was very much 1A Horvat and then 1B Pedersen. So I think now you're in a position where they have no choice but to 
have a complete overhaul. Like we saw the power play not be nearly as good for a while. It just continued clicking because Bavillier got hot and that he was in the same spot and he scored a couple goals. So they kept doing the same thing. And as soon as teams kind of adjusted a bit and Bavillier wasn't able to be, create space for himself the way Bo did, he wasn't able to get the shot off as effectively as Bo did. They just weren't able to create the same types of looks. So I think they're forced into changing this because they don't even have the option right now to have somebody in the bumper to be the trigger man. Yeah. Unless they put JT there, which means you still have to get in somebody else trained to play the half wall and set him up. It's, uh, I think it's kind of a sneaky big storyline, uh, the start of the season, how the power play looks. Well, I, quickly, I loved what I saw in practice. I, I will say that. I agree. I'm, but like Brett even said, like systems play power play and all these things it takes up until christmas for you to really hone in on them yeah can you be good enough to get through those things and keep your head above water that's going to be the thing you know and i'm not saying 500 should be the bar but i'm not expecting them yeah. to be like a 600 hockey club by, by christmas you want to be a few games over 500 around thanksgiving yeah i mean after the first 25 games can you be you know 12 10 and 3 yeah or something you know what i mean it, it's not it's not the highest bar in the world. No. But it's far better than what you've been the past few years. It should, shouldn't should be the highest bar in the world. Uh, all right. We'll get to more of your texts. Plus, overrated or underrated is coming up next. I see some coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can keep those coming. Overrated, underrated, perfectly rated. You give us the topics. We debate if they are overrated, underrated, or perfectly rated. That's next on Canuck Central.